Our scripture this morning can be found on page 995 in the Bible in front of you. It is Revelations chapter 2, verses 3 through 5a. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ms. Marlene. I'm glad that you are back with us for our final installment of our sermon series entitled A Crazy Little Thing Called Love. The story goes that there were two women, Helen and Ruth. They went to school together. They came up through school together. And uh, eventually, they both married husbands in the same little town. They spent much of their early married lives together. And then Helen uh, had to move away. And she was actually gone for quite some time. For about, about 40 years, she was gone. Well, one day... She called her friend Ruth and she said, We're, I'm coming back to town and I'd, I'd love to go out to dinner with, with you and your husband. And so they set up the dinner and they went out to this swanky restaurant and Helen and Ruth and Ruth's husband sat down and Helen was really struck by the fact that Ruth kept speaking to her husband in these, these really kind ways. She kept saying, oh, sweetie and, and, and honey and cutie pie. And and in just a few minutes, Ruth's husband excused himself to go to the restroom, and Helen looked at Ruth. She said, I'm I'm amazed that after 40 years of marriage, that you're still talking to him this way, honey and sweetie and cutie pie. And Ruth said, oh yeah, about that. Um, Like 10 years ago, I forgot his name, and I haven't had the courage to ask the old bat what it is. Fair enough. (laughs) I think it's probably fair to say that most of us who have been engaged in relationships for a while know that relationships are going to go through seasons in, in our lives. And today we're going to talk some about the seasons of our relationships. But before we do that, I just want to say this. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to sit down and have a conversation with a a couple that have been married for 50 or 60 or 70 years. I've, I've had those opportunities on occasion and and if you ask those people who've been married for, for that long, you say, how, 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 what's the secret to your success? How have you been able to keep your relationship together for this long? They'll tell you all kinds of things that, that forgiveness is, is important and kindness is important and, and that being committed is important. But you know what they, they, they're never gonna say? They are never going to say that being married for over 50 years is easy. They're just not. Because relationships have seasons when life is easy, but they also have seasons when life is hard. And throughout this series, we have been referencing a survey. It was a survey done in in United Methodist Church in a suburban context, much like Ebenezer Church exists, of 5,100 married people. And of these 5,100 married people, uh, 5,100 people on love and relationship, 3,800 of them were married, 1,300 of them had been divorced. They, they, they got some data that I think is, is worth sharing with you. So based on this idea that there are seasons in our marriage, I want to share a little bit of data with you. So let's look at the first set of data. 
on the left-hand side here, of all the people who took the survey that were married, you see how many years they have been married. And then on the right-hand column, you see what percentage of people who've been married for that period of time say that they feel fulfilled in their marriage. So, according to the survey, people who had been married less than two years, 60% of them said that they felt fulfilled in their marriage. Three to five years, 46% of those people said they feel fulfilled in their marriage. From six to ten years, 38%. Then you get into that second decade of marriage, from 11 to 20 years, and uh, see that 35% of people, according to the survey, felt fulfilled in their marriage during that ten-year span. As you continue to move forward, though, the numbers get better. Uh, 21 to 30 years, 45% believed that they were fulfilled in their marriage. 31 to 40 years, 48%. People who've been married 41 to 50 years said they were uh, fulfilled by their marriage. 50, 59% of them said that. And then people over, who've been married for more than 50 years, 68% of them said they were fulfilled by their marriage. So what does this mean? If we plotted all of this on a, a line, we would see an inverted bell curve. Uh, we'd see that people tend to be very fulfilled early on in their marriage, and then there t- tends to be a dip for a season, and then people feel more fulfilled at the end. So hang on to that for just a second. I want to look at a second set of data. This data came from the 1,305 people who took the survey who experienced divorce. And the question that was asked of them is, at what point in your marriage did you experience the divorce? So this second set... People who had been married less than two years, 10% of the 1,305 people experienced divorce in the first two years. Three to five years, 21%. Six to 10 years, 22% of people. 11 to 20 years is when 30% of divorces take place. And then again, the numbers start to get better. From 21 to 30 years, only 13% of the sample size experienced divorce during that period. 31 to 40 years, 3%. 41 to 50 years, only 1% of the people experienced divorce in that decade. And then, according to the sample size, 1,305 people uh, in this survey, once they got to 51 or more years of marriage, there had been zero divorces at that point. And so, what we see is that, yes... There are, in fact, some seasons in the context of our marriages. There are some times when we feel very affirmed and engaged in our marriage, and there are some times when our marriages seem less fulfilling. And unsurprisingly, those periods of time in which marriages seem less fulfilling also tend to be the times when people are most prone to get a divorce. So here's one of the questions that could come out of understanding this data. Why is it, why is it that our relationships Go through seasons like this. Well, uh, I think that there are a couple of ways to look at that answer. Why do our relationships go through some complicated seasons? One, one way that we could look at this is that there are some challenges we face in our relationships that we could call challenges of intentionality. Challenges of intentionality. And if you'd like to, on the back of your bulletin, there's an opportunity to follow along and take some notes uh, this morning, beginning at this point in the sermon. Also in the notes section of... Uh, online. One of the things that we tend to do is that we tend to stop courting one another. We tend to stop courting one another. For those of you who are much younger than I am, courting means dating, just so you know. Uh, we stop, stop dating one another. Uh, Bradford Wilcox and Jeffrey Dew published a study called The Date Night Opportunity. I've put the title of that article in your bulletin in case you would like to find it and read it later. It's a worthwhile read. And here's what they found. 
they found that couples who have a dedicated date night are 3.5 times more likely to say their marriage is fulfilling. Couples that have a dedicated date night are 3.5 times more likely to say that their marriage is fulfilling. They said there are a number of things that happen within couples or between couples who engage in a regular date night. Uh, one, increased communication. There's a, there's a greater sense of novelty and greater new experiences. There's, there's a sense of eros, the spark between husbands and wives. There's uh, also a de-stress element that comes from going on a date together, increased commitment. There are all these many, many blessings that come from covenanting to spend just a little bit of time uh, together. But oftentimes, in the course of our marriages, we stop courting. A second thing that we tend to do uh, that is a matter of intentionality is we have a tendency to stop surprising one another. So uh, I told you this story about a little over a year ago. I'm really hopeful that you've forgotten it. Uh, so I'm going to tell it, tell it to you again. Early on in my relationship with my amazing wife, uh, I, I recognized that Andy's most difficult day of the week was Tuesday for a number of reasons. And she's smarter than I am, and she's better looking than I am, and I really had no chance with her, but I chose a winning strategy, church, and here it was. I implemented something called Happy Tuesdays. And on Tuesdays, I would do something that would make her feel special, something to to make a hard day a little bit easier. My favorite thing I ever did was a game I invented called If I Had a Million Dollars. And I went and I got all these scratch-off lottery tickets, like ten of them, Listen, I don't have a problem with gambling. It was just the $10 scratch-off lottery tickets. Please don't send me that email, please, okay? <laughs> and I, I put a, a scratch-off lottery ticket, uh, and I stapled it to a note card. And Andy's job was every every hour, she was supposed to go in her office and scratch off the, the lotto ticket. And if we won a million dollars, we were going to do whatever the thing on that note card said we were, we were going to do. Didn't end up winning a million dollars, but that wasn't the point. The point was that there was a season in my life where it was really, really important to me to keep surprising her. But over time, that desire to surprise one another can diminish. If we really, to to kind of summarize all of this, we we could say that we have a tendency over the course of our, our relationships to sometimes no longer make one another feel special. And you know, this doesn't just happen in our relationships with one another. It happens in our faith, too. If I could spiritualize this conversation for just a moment. Uh, in, in our scripture passage today from Revelation chapter 2, uh, Jesus is, is talking through the Spirit to the church at Ephesus. And, and he talks about all these good things that the church of Ephesus does. But then Jesus says, this is the one thing I have against you. You've lost your first love. Jesus said, you fell out of love with me. But he doesn't just tell Ephesus that they've fallen out of love with him. He then offers a prescription to Ephesus to tell them how they could fall back in love. Here's what he says. He said, repent and do the works you did at first. Repent and do the works you did at first. It can be a, a difficult thing at times for us to to experience the fullness and the beauty of marriage throughout a prolonged season. So what does Scripture tell us to do? 
It tells us to do what we did when we first fell in love. But here's the truth. Some of the challenges we face in terms of, of, of this, this roller coaster of relationships, some of the challenges are challenges of intentionality. We bear some of the responsibility for some of these things. But some of the challenges we face in our relationship are circumstantial in nature. They are simply a function of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. One of the great challenges to our relationship is that our careers draw on our time. Pastor Mark Miller told me a story one time. It was such a good story that I called him this week. I said, hey, can I tell this story about you in my sermon this Sunday? Because most of the time when I tell a story about me, I'm kind of the idiot in the story. So basically what I was asked is, can I, can I make you look like an idiot in front of the people that all love you very, very much? And he said yes, praise the Lord. So uh, Mark gave me permission uh, to tell this story. When, when Mark got to Ebenezer, there were about 100 people in worship, and, and then the church, to the glory of God, started to really grow. And, and at some of those seasons of growth, things got really busy here. And, and there were some times that Mark had just, night after night, he had these sequences of meetings. And one, one time he was at, at a meeting, and it was like his sixth night in a row being at a meeting. And he looked around the room, and he said, where, where, is, where is this one person? They're supposed to be here. And somebody else in the group said, they... They have a soccer game. Their child has a soccer game tonight, so they're not going to come. And Mark looked at the people on the team and said, Listen, my kid has a soccer game too. And one of the saints of Ebenezer, someone who has now departed to go claim their reward, one of the saints looked at Pastor Mark and said, Then what in the world are you doing here? There are some challenges that we face in the context of our careers. And our careers help us to provide for the ones we love uh, so much. And that's a wonderful thing. But there are opportunities that we have, even in the midst of difficult and challenging careers, to prioritize our families well. But it's not just our careers that can cause us challenges in the context of our relationship. A second challenge that we often face, a second reason that roller coasters are what our marriages can look like, is because of those beautiful little bundles of joy we call children. According to our survey, according to our survey, people without children reported across the board, 54% of them said they, they were happy with their marriages. People without children, 54%, no matter how old or young they were, 54% were happy with their marriages. People with children, 36% said they were happy with their marriages. Does this mean that having kids is bad? No, my children are some of the greatest gifts that God has ever given to me and to Andy, and we're grateful for them. But it is true, it is true that having children can present challenges to our relationship. Having children can present challenges. Also, when the children go away, it can present challenges to our relationship. Some of the empty nesters in here can testify to that. One of my mentors is a guy by the name of Adam Hamilton, and he he tells a story about how after his two daughters went off to college, he and his wife really struggled to find their rhythm again. And they even got to the point that they were wondering if their relationship was going to make it. And he said, one of the things I wish someone had told me was that if, if we would given ourselves six months we would start to find ourselves developing these new routines of being together. The simple reality, friends, is that there are seasons in our relationships. There are times that we are going to feel more in love and less in love with one another. So what do we do? What do we do 
When confronted with these challenges, when we find ourselves on a roller coaster of a relationship, what do we do if we find ourselves falling out of love? Which does, by the way, happen. It does. For most couples, most relationships will go through a time when the feeling of love is not as prominently there. And I think it's important for us to hear that. Because if we don't hear it, when we experience it, we feel like we're the only people who have ever known this phenomenon. So how do we, how do we relight the fire with our spouses? I want to talk about three things that we can do to re-engage that fire in our relationships. Here's the first one, and I'm going to warn you up front. It is a profound theological concept. Do you think you're ready? All right. Eh, I feel like maybe you are. Here it is. Fake it until you make it. Fake it until you make it. So the founder of the Wesleyan movement was a guy by the name of John Wesley. He's the, the kind of the father of the Methodist church. And he was actually a, a missionary here in the United States for, for a while. Not a very good missionary. He actually ended up getting kind of run out by a lynch mob. It was, it was an unfortunate end to his ministry here at Ebenezer, at, 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 in the United States. But uh, while he was here, he experienced a bit of a crisis of faith. And that crisis of faith uh, caused him to, to go talk to one of his friends. And what, what his friend, uh, what he said to his friend was, I feel like a fraud sometimes because I'm, I'm preaching these people every week and I'm telling them to have faith in God, but there are moments I don't feel like I have faith in God. And his friend, a guy by the name of Peter Bowler, said to him, Reverend Mr. Wesley, you need to preach faith until you have faith. And then you will preach faith because you have faith. Translation, fake it till you make it. My brothers and sisters, if we find ourselves falling out of love with our spouses, I want to challenge us to do this. Act lovingly until we feel love. Then we will be loving because we are in love. A second thing that we can do. We can remember that love is not merely a feeling. Love is also a choice. Certainly there are elements of love that involve feelings, no doubt about that. And we feel them most prominently, often early in the context of our relationships. But, brothers and sisters, if we believe that little butterflies and colorful rainbows will follow us through the unicorn forest every day of our marriage, we're probably in for a rude awakening Love is not merely a feeling. It's also a choice. It's a commitment. God hasn't always looked on humanity with sunshine and roses. Read the Old Testament. Read the New Testament. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul offers some advice. He says, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What was the single greatest act of love Christ ever perpetrated on behalf of the church? It was going to the cross. And if you will remember, he didn't want to go. He asked three times that the cup could pass from him, but Jesus went because love isn't just a feeling. It is a choice. Jesus chose the cross. My friends, if we are constantly in pursuit of a love that's easy, we will be constantly disappointed by love. Great love requires sacrifice. 
It requires commitment. And if you're here today and, and you're in the covenant of marriage, we, we made a, a, an agreement. We said some things to one another. I just want to take a moment and remind those of us who are married what we said we were going to do with one another. Let's take a look at our vows. We covenant to have and to hold. She is mine and I am hers. And we have the option to hold each other. From this day forward, for better, for worse, richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. These are the promises we made. We promised to strive to be there in good times and bad. We promised to cherish each other. These aren't the only remarkable words uh, that we've said to one another. Uh, there's another piece that I want to I want to call to your attention. In in towards the end of the wedding ceremony, there's the blessing and exchange of rings. I just want to share with you the the language that accompanies the exchange of rings, the symbol of our love for each other. I give you this ring as a sign of my vow, with all that I am and all that I have. I honor you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no wiggle room there. Everything I am. Everything I have. I'm going to love you with it. I'm going to love you the way that God loved me. I'm going to love you with everything I've got. That's what we said we would do. Use everything that we have to honor one another. So here's the third step. We find ourselves on one of the dips in the roller coaster of relationship. We need to make sure that we are honoring one another. Am I honoring her? Am I honoring him? And we honor in all manner of ways. We honor when we speak with love. We honor when we say thank you. We honor when we choose fidelity. We honor when we center our lives around Jesus Christ. And so we come to the conclusion of this series. We've been talking a lot about this thing called love. We've talked a lot about some of the steps that we could take to be better at loving one another. And as a penultimate word, I just want to say this. I want to invite us to remember, love is a skill that we develop over time. So keep working at it. When times are good, keep working. When times are bad, keep working. Because when we love each other beautifully, in good times and bad, we reflect the way that God loved us to the world. Just one final thought by way of concluding our series, and it's this. Can we bring up our data one more time here? I just wanted to point out something I find very interesting. In what season of relationship did people report feeling most fulfilled in their marriage? People who've been married 51 years and more. What does that tell us? tells us that the best is yet to come. We have been loved with a tenacious and relentless love. God gave it to us freely. 
and calls us to love one another with that tenacity, that beauty, that freedom. There will be seasons. Keep loving. Thank you for joining with us in this series entitled A Crazy Little Thing Called Love. And I want to invite you back next week as we, we begin our Lenten series, Journey with Christ Towards the Cross, with our new series called Believe. Until then, friends, would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of love. What a remarkable thing it is that you have made. And you are the best at it. You have loved us beautifully and flawlessly. Lord, we, we want to love each other better. We don't always know how. So Lord, forgive us for the times that we have failed and grant us the grace. Grant us the grace to take the next step towards loving with excellence. We ask these things not simply so our lives will be more fulfilling though they shall. We ask for your grace to love each other beautifully. Because in doing so, it sets the world ablaze with your love. Thank you for this missional thing called marriage. For this beautiful gift called love. Help us to keep working at it. In Christ's name, amen.